What's up, Broncos country? What's up, Broncos country? This is Phil Lindsay. Justin Simmons here. This is Alexander Johnson. Hey, I'm Vaughn Miller, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, my partner in crime, really, NZ Nation. You know who I'm talking about. The best way to describe this person is my everything. It's at Eric Dalala. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Eric, we've got a uh, special show in store as Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are getting set to uh, head to the Mile High City. We'll talk about uh, how this defense will match up against Sir Tom Brady. We'll also uh, dive in and talk about some expectations for the Broncos starting quarterback. That's Jeff Driscoll looking to make his ninth career start, Eric. Phil, did you have something in your throat there? Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Just clear my throat there. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Our guest this week is Fox analyst and uh, locally here in Denver, you listen. You can listen to him on 104.3 The Fan. It's Mark Schlereth. Stink. We love him. Stink. And uh, if you're listening at home, you might notice that Eric did this interview. He decided that uh, he felt like maybe it was time for him to do one as well. And uh, wanted to contribute, you know? Yeah. No, yeah, I understand. I understand. So uh, we'll have a nice interview with Stink. You'll be hearing him in the Fox booth. On Sunday, doing the Broncos game. So uh, we'll uh, get some great insight there. Plus, uh, we'll uh, do all our usual shenanigans, two truths, one lie, and also fill in the blank. Eric, how does that sound? I like it. I like it a lot. You think that's pretty good? Yeah. I mean, if I were using a GIF to react to that rundown, I would do one that's like really excited, you know? Hey, I, I, I think you're referring to our uh, new segment on DenverBroncos.com on the Broncos official YouTube page as well. GIF of Gab. Let us know what you think about that. Let us know what you think about this podcast. Make sure you subscribe and rate. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now, Eric, also on iHeartRadio. iHeart, iHeart. iHeart, iHeart. Now, Eric, I'm not sure if you uh, knew this, but uh, this is the 100th episode of The Neutral Zone. Oh my gosh, is it really? Did you know that? How did we come so far? I know, and I thought that uh, maybe uh, we would have a special guest join us uh, here at the start of the show. Why don't we uh, (laughs) go ahead and uh, bring in... The, our own very own Ben Swanson, who is back, special edition of his tryout as a <laughs> podcast supervisor. Wow. Uh, Phil, did you say this is the 100th episode? Yes, this is the 100th episode. I can't believe it. Does that mean that y'all have been doing this podcast from home ever since the pandemic and you just didn't tell me? We have been doing this at home the whole time. Yeah. Oh, my God. I am legitimately shocked that Ben Swanson is on this podcast. <laughs> I thought oh. you were going to say, I thought about doing something big for this podcast, 
but like usual, we didn't. And then uh, podcast supervisor Ben Swanson pops up on the screen. Y'all probably thought, yeah. what, like, who could we get better than Akeeb Talib? And then, yeah, you came yeah. to mind. Then it was Akeeb Talib's best friend, Ben Swanson. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. So Swanson, what have you been doing? You've been uh, painting during this time, drawing? What have you been doing? Uh, mostly just um, some, you know, being an A, doing some photography. Got it. Uh, You've been down well, on the field, huh? I have been. Yeah. It's been um, something a little bit new this year. So, you know, we're all trying to do a little bit more. That's true. And uh, while you're on the show, did you want to shout out your mom? I know that uh, she's a big <laughs> fan of the, of the neutral zone. Yeah, I'll shout out my mom. Uh, shout out to Barbara. I don't know if she's still listening. She told me that she would listen to the show to, to hear me on the podcast, but I haven't been on the podcast in quite a few months. So I don't know if she's still, uh, still keeping up to, you know, take a chance and see if I'm on it. Um, what are some of your favorite memories from your time here on, on the show? Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Um, well, I personally love how, you know, Phil, you play this game, two lies and one truth. That's always a highlight. Um, I enjoyed back when we used to get voicemails and emails from our listeners, uh, at 707 neutral, you know? Uh, they can they can dial in and leave a voicemail or they can, you know, leave an email at neutralzoneshow at gmail.com. I, I enjoyed that. But I think my favorite memory from the show has to be, I mean, it's a hypothetical memory. So I don't know, maybe it happened, uh, maybe it didn't happen. It's just kind of out there. But there may have been some kind of bet over the Packers and some cheese whiz was involved. May not have happened. It's hard to say, but... Uh, that was definitely one of the highlights from the, from the show's run so far. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. So far, we've got a, a long way to go. You know, when it's the 100th episode of a podcast, you really have to celebrate it. And uh, while we're happy to have uh, the supervisor in tryout join us, we'll uh, go ahead and uh, add in one more guest here. And it is, of course, hello. Emily Samansky. Wow. Hi, happy 100th episode. The Thank surprises keep much. coming. I am honored to be here. It's a celebration. It is. This is all the nonsense that Ben Swanson has always told us to not do. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you all even talked about football yet? No, we have not talked about football yet. Oh, this my is... head's spinning. Getting the whole gang back together is much more important than anything else. I'll let it slide this time, I guess. Swanson, have you earned the role of, um, was it podcast director? Oh my gosh. Supervisor. Oh. Supervisor. Supervisor, uh, right. Still, Sorry. still trying out. This is actually my first appearance on the show uh, since probably January, February. <laughs> you left. <laughs> wow. The gang is all back together then. However, yeah, I, I have heard myself being talked about on the show. Uh, so I guess in some ways I have been on the show. <laughs> uh, Emily, tell us what you've been up to uh, since you've left uh, the Denver Broncos. Um, I spent three months with the Carolina Hurricanes as their social media intern. And now I'm in Wyoming as the sports reporter at the Sheridan Press in Sheridan, Wyoming. So, oh, here's a, here's a Wyoming NFL related question. Um, what quarterback 
and what team does he play for? Graduated from the University of Wyoming. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. Dang it. Yes. <laughs> I was debating writing a limerick, and I opted not to. <laughs> that would have been tremendous. Tremendous. I say that all the time now. You guys have really influenced my, my life and uh, vocabulary. I'm sure not you've sure. done uh, all kinds of stuff on Mike Purcell, I'm sure. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Is he from Wyoming? Uh, he went to the University of Wyoming, yeah. What? I did not know that. Well, uh, I see a lot of Broncos. There's a lot of Broncos fans out here, I will say. Broncos country. It's great. It's yeah. Broncos country and NZ Nation, so I'm sure you'll get recognized at some point. Yes. I will. I, whenever I see a Broncos fan next, I will make sure they, they listen and subscribe and leave a voicemail. <laughs> Congrats on being a real R. We're uh, certainly proud here at the Neutral Zone. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I wanted to be, an R. Emily, as we uh, look back on uh, the 100, or I guess we've done 99 episodes. This is the 100th. But as we look back, what are some of your favorite memories of being on the show? Oh, wow. I maybe, should have expected this, and I'm still on the spot. Maybe when uh, you were singing uh, Disney tunes. That is definitely a highlight. I will say at um, my current place of employment, we all watched that highlight video a couple weeks ago, and they thought it was hilarious. Um, marriage proposal via the phone Got or it. email, can't remember. Yeah. It was a highlight, I guess you would say. <laughs> well, we're no, I had a great time. We're happy that you are able to join us today, and I'm sure that our listeners, uh, the ones who've been with us since the beginning, they'll appreciate Hello. it. Hello. This is emotional. <laughs> Eric, were you well, surprised? Eric? I was, yeah. Very surprised, especially by Ben Swanson. And then I thought, oh, we should see if Emily wants to join, and she was already on the screen. Hooray! <laughs> right. Well, Eric, you've worn that shirt probably for the first episode, and now you're wearing it for the 100th, so that's good. Wow. <laughs> good roast here on the neutral zone. A classic. That's good <laughs> content for a podcast, you yep. know, something visual. Yeah, oh, podcast yes. this, this audience, Emily, they can't see what I'm wearing. So I believe it's a coral. Is that the color that we determined it is? Yes, salmon? it's a nice, nice coral. Ah. Coral, yeah. It's a little brighter than what I would describe a salmon. I wouldn't be caught dead in salmon, to be honest with you. Ah. Well, the Broncos, dead. Oh, my gosh. All wow. of them. Oh, wow. we got to end the podcast. I think I think. That we're having technical <laughs> difficulties. Um, Emily suddenly disappeared. <laughs> How are you enjoying your time in Wyoming? I am. Um, I am enjoying it. It's uh, the weather has been lovely. Um, the people are very nice. They take their football very seriously, even though we only really have high school football out here. But yeah, it's good. I like it. Did you say are the you, weather has been nice? The weather has been nice. Mm. Are you worried about the uh, super volcano out at uh, Yellowstone? <laughs> now we're I am talking. Not concerned. <laughs> this is the first time I'm hearing of it. <laughs> oh yeah, Eric. You might have to take this conversation offline. Eric's deep into the super volcano. Uh, oh right i do remember this and no i'm not that. concerned with the super volcano you never know what could happen in 2020 so that's true that's yeah. yes if 2020 has taught us anything 
it's that a super volcano would not be surprising. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Emily. Anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? <laughs> um, no, just that I have been keeping up with some of your content and you guys are doing a great job oh, amidst everything going on. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank Maybe um, for one last time, do you want to say like, you've been listening to, and then we all say the neutrals. Oh, yeah. you, remember, you remember how we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Emily, thank you very much for uh, coming on, spending some time uh, getting away from your real R duties. <laughs> thank you for having it. me. But, uh, you know, for one last time here, you've been listening to The Neutral, the neutral Zone. Zone. Oh, that was lackluster. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys. Happy 100th episode. Thank you, Emily. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, now it's just back to the three of us. A little surprise there, huh? That was nice, and I'm sure the uh, listeners loved it. It was a nice little 14-minute yeah. tangent that you come to expect on this program. Exactly. Should we dive back into the football content? Yeah, do we need to kick Swanson off too then? Yeah, I probably <laughs> need to kick Swanson off. Swanson, Fine. I anything guess I else you'd something. like to say here? No, I just um, congrats on a great first 100 episodes, and – Here's to another spectacular next hundred. Thank you very much. Would you call this as like a centennialith? Well, how would you, uh, what do you, what would you, what's the word that I'm looking for there? Just centennial, I think is what you're looking for. This is yeah. the centennial show? I, yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think that's right. I think NF neutral zone 100, I think is what we're calling it. <laughs> we're going to go back and relive the top 100 moments. Top 100 guests. Yeah, I don't know if we've even had 100 guests. No, some people no. said we wouldn't even make it to 100 episodes. Many yeah. people were saying that. But well, we made it, baby. We're Should here. We, maybe that should have been the case. And the numbers are better than ever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, Swanson, thank you very much. You can get back to your uh, painting. We appreciate you hopping on. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. All right, Eric. How did you like that? Did you like that? I thought I'd try to surprise you. No, it's nice. You always, you're very thoughtful, Phil. That's why you're also my everything. And <laughs> that's why this show works so well. And maybe uh, when we get to uh, 200 episodes, we'll get like Trevor to surprise you or something. Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> Most Broncos fans, uh, I think, are on that boat right now. But <laughs> that's for a future podcast episode. Hey, well, that's a, a nice transition here for uh, let's talk about some expectations for Jeff Driscoll getting set to make uh, his ninth career NFL start. Yeah, Phil, I think he can be successful. I think uh, if you're expecting him to go out there and throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns and no interceptions, you're probably setting yourself up to be disappointed. And you likely are going to do that with any backup quarterback, right? That's just not reasonable to expect but if you want a guy that can go out there and make some plays and get you into the 20 to mid 20 point range I think that's possible and you have to hope of course that the defense can hold Tom Brady to somewhere around that range to to be competitive but you know Jeff has done admirably at times in his career he normally ends up in the 175 to 250 yard range uh, passer ratings. 
in the 80s to 90s. And, you know, that's serviceable. I think if he can avoid bad sacks, bad interceptions, uh, he didn't really have a – the interception he threw against the Steelers was not on him. Um, but did, have a, did have a couple bad sacks. But, you know, I don't think there's any reason that he can't come out and be competitive this week. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, he's going to lead you to – what we played two games, so are, they, are the Broncos going to go four and zero with him? Uh, maybe unlikely, but um, I think he's good enough, Phil, that he can keep you above water until Drew Lock gets back. Yeah, and I think that that's what you're really looking for from a backup is just to uh, string along enough efficient games uh, to until Drew can get back. Three to five weeks, Eric. Last time, uh, you know, we talked a little about him not going on IR. So uh, he was back out of practice today on Wednesday. He was out there watching just in street clothes and everything. But I think it's so important for him to be active and involved in everything during practice. No sling. No sling either. Yeah, exactly. So uh, glad that there's nothing structurally wrong there and it's just a bruise. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe Drew can actually help Jeff if he notices anything, if he – you know, he could chime in a little bit there. But, you know, I think that the Broncos are going to have to do a couple of things to help Jeff be successful. You know, it's one thing when you come off the bench and come in, you know, midway through the game, you're able to have some success because the Steelers haven't been scouting you, haven't been working on you. But uh, it's a different deal when you are the guy all week long and the Bucks know that they're going to be facing you as quarterback. So, I think that they're going to have to be able to run the ball well with Melvin Gordon. We saw them have a lot of success against the Steelers, a team that had, you know, one of the great defensive performances in week one against the run. We saw Melvin Gordon have a lot of success, especially on the backside, running with uh, Garrett Bowles and Dalton Reisner blocking for him. I hope to see some of that. I would think that they need to be able to uh, cash in on some play action whenever that running game gets going, maybe hit a couple of deep shots. We saw Driscoll really air things out down the field and take some shots. And I think that they're going to have to connect on a couple of those. And then the third thing I think he's going to have to do to stay successful is use his athleticism. He is an athletic quarterback. Get him outside of the pocket. Get him running a little bit. You want him to stay safe. So don't take any shots. But uh, – keep that Bucks defense guessing a little bit. And maybe uh, when, it, when you need to, when it's third down and you got to move the chains, get outside of the pocket, move, use your feet a little bit, and uh, stay safe. Yeah, and Vic Fangio mentioned Wednesday the Broncos have some RPO stuff in their offense that could maybe work with Jeff Driscoll. I like what you have to say about him getting out of the pocket. I don't want to see him throw on the run necessarily because – I don't think he was super successful with that the other day. He looked best when he could set his feet and throw the ball. Um, but he impressed me with his accuracy. I thought it was better than I thought it might be and better than a lot of backup quarterbacks uh, usually are. But, but, yeah, Phil, I mean, you've got to put him in manageable situations. So that means your, your kick returner, your punt returner can't make a silly play and have you start inside the 10-yard line. It means that – your uh, offensive line can't get called for a holding penalty that sets you back 10 yards. I mean, I think that there are, there's a, a path for Jeff Driscoll and the Broncos offense to find success, but it's maybe a little narrower than a path would be with Drew Locke. And so I'd say get the ball to Jerry Judy 
get the ball to KJ Hamler and Noah Fant in space and see what those guys can do. You know, it doesn't, the path to a big play or a big touchdown doesn't have to be a 50 yard bomb. It can be get Noah Fant the ball on a crossing route in space and let him take it 50 yards or let KJ Hamler run a 20 yard route. And because the defense is so threatened by his speed, you know, they're going to, re- they're going to respect that and, and he can pick up 20 yards. So that's what I'll be looking for. And I think it's certainly possible for the Broncos to be successful. And I would just say one thing is that every NFL game sort of takes on its own personality. That's something that Peyton Manning used to say all the time. And, you know, the Broncos can really, I think that they could benefit from setting the personality of this game against the Bucks in their favor early on by just trying to get positive plays going. Don't, don't get yourself in a hole or like, don't feel like you, you put Jeff in some pressure situations where you're behind or that kind of thing. Just get some positive plays going, get some momentum going. Maybe you get a couple of first downs and kick a field goal. Like you live with those types of things where you just, just try and keep things going in the, in the right direction. Don't, you know, turn the ball over. Don't get these penalties like you just mentioned and just try to get him into a, into a flow. You know, one team that's really good at that is the Raiders. It pains me to say that, you know, but they, they just tried to make the game a little bit easier by getting just positive plays, three, four yards, three, four yards. Then maybe you get a 15, 20 yard play, then three, four yards, three, four yards. Then, you know, they just do a good job of staying on the field and keeping things going in the right direction. And I think that Jeff Driscoll is more than capable of doing that. Yeah. And Phil, in the second half of the game against the Steelers, the Broncos were pretty successful. They had five drives and they ended in a field goal, a touchdown, a safety that that was kind of the mistake that Hamler made that put you in a bad position, a touchdown, and then you get down to the 15 yard line and, and turn it over, but uh, a successful overall drive there. And so, yeah, I mean, there's reason to believe that the Broncos here can move the ball. They're going to have to be better. I think on first and second down than they were against the Steelers, because one thing that's not sustainable is putting Jeff Driscoll in, third and tens or third and fifteens and expecting him to convert those time after time. Uh, but if you, if you can keep the Broncos in third and threes, third and fours, then the, the Buccaneers defense that is talented, you know, Phil, there's, there's some good players, Sean Murphy, Bunting, Devin White, uh, Vita Vea, Shaquille Barrett, but it's not at the level maybe of the Pittsburgh defense. And so I think if you could find some success against them on the road, you know, there's some, there's some room to work here. I agree. I think that there is room to room to work room to have some success. I think in this game, you're more fearful of that Buccaneers offense than you are the defense. I think it's fair to say that. So uh, especially with Mike Evans healthy and then uh, Godwin also appears to be healthy. So more fearful of that offense. And I don't think you want to get into a shootout, but I do think that Driscoll is more than capable of, you know, driving the ball down the field, getting positive plays. And if the Broncos can just clean some of these little mistakes up that we've talked about through two weeks that have really hurt them, the special teams mistakes, the miscues on, you know, different areas of the game. They clean those things up. I think that they got a really good chance of uh, winning this game, even though Drew Locke is out 
and Jeff Driscoll is in at quarterback. So, Eric, do you think that it's time to play two truths and one lie? I've heard that it's time. I'm ready for it to be time. You feel good about it. You feel like you've got your wits about you. I do. Okay, good, good. Okay, number one here. We know that Melvin Gordon has scored a touchdown in each of his first two games with the Broncos. He did one running the ball. He did one catching the ball. He needs just one more touchdown, rush or receiving, to become the fifth active running back with 50 touchdowns. Just, okay. just five active – there's just four active now. He could become the fifth with 50 combined touchdowns. Okay. You like it? I'm, I'm listening, yeah. Here's number two. The Broncos have won four consecutive games against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and because they don't play all that often, the last Buccaneers win over the Broncos came in the previous millennium. Eric. <laughs> The last time that uh, the Buccaneers beat the Broncos, 1999, that was in Tampa Bay. The score of that game, 13 to 10. Okay. That's number two. And then number three, Denver owns a nine and eight all-time overall record against Tom Brady. That's regular season and playoffs. Denver joins San Francisco as the only NFL teams with an overall winning record against Mr. Brady. Okay, I think that's kind of easy. I think the last one is false. I think Denver's the only team that has a winning record against Tom Brady. You got it. You got it. Wow. That is true. Denver, the only team in all of the NFL that uh, owns an all-time winning record against – the person many uh, people believe is the greatest quarterback of all time. I thought you said Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I didn't say I personally thought that. I said a lot of people do that. Oh, especially, I especially I would say probably people in the Northeast probably East have, have that opinion. And then according to you, you probably think Florida is considered the East Coast. So, Florida, part of Florida is definitely on the East Coast. Yeah. Florida is in the South, and even then, a lot of people would consider Florida its own separate deal. Correct. That's true. Florida is not the South. So I would say Florida is its own separate region, even though it's just a state. I would say it's its own region. Sort of like how California is sort of its own deal on the West Coast. I mean, California is essentially the only state on the West Coast. Uh, in my opinion, yes, because I would say Washington and Oregon are the Northwest. Correct. Yeah. So, yes, that's a see. See, you're capable of breaking up coasts. I don't know why you decide wow. to just hang on to East Coast so desperately for North Carolina. It's sad. It's sad, really. Yeah, it probably has something to do with because that's where it is. Got it. Got that's it. probably why. So that's been uh, two truths and one lie. I think that you're 3-0 and so far this year, Eric. Yeah, I was a little worried if uh, one of those first two was the lie because I truly had no uh, idea. I probably would have guessed that the first one was a lie just because I know that Melvin has scored at least eight touchdowns 
in each of the last four seasons. But uh, even with a couple this year, that would only get you to 34, 35. And so the fact that he has 15 more in addition to that, that's intriguing. Yeah. He'd become uh, just a fifth active player. Who are the others? Do you know? Uh, I'm not a fifth active running back. Sorry. Uh, I'm actually not sure. Let me see if I can look that up. Uh, as uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Frank Gore is one of them. I would believe that Frank Gore has uh, 50 touchdowns, yes. Um, I'm not sure, though, uh, who, who finds themselves in the end zone and has been around for a long time. Well, do you think Christian McCaffrey has scored enough touchdowns, or do you think it's too soon for him? I, he's definitely got the yards from scrimmage to uh, go stack up against the uh, – yeah, I'm not sure. He has uh, 43 career touchdowns, so. Um, I'm trying to think about, like, some guys who've just been around for a long time. You know, Alvin Kamara finds the end zone a lot. I don't know how many career touchdowns. Maybe we uh, keep going and I can work on it as we uh, yeah. go here. Uh, should we uh, maybe should we move on to uh, your conversation with Mark Schlereth? That'll give us some time to. Uh... That's well. I mean, I'll have to talk to him, but. Yeah, you talk to him, and we'll look it up. Alvin Kamara, thirty touchdowns, but maybe that's uh, maybe that's just rushing. Yeah, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this Perfect. out. Yeah, and uh, Phil Mark Schlereth, of course, has a. Uh, very detailed knowledge of the Denver Broncos being a radio host here, but he's also calling the game this Sunday. Very exciting. And we talked a little bit about what he looks for in the broadcast booth and how he's different up there than when he's on talk radio and his uh, thoughts about how the Broncos rebound from what's been a very difficult week. Mark, thanks for joining us. It's been a tough week here in Denver. Drew Locke goes down. Cortland Sutton's out for the season. A lot of people have declared this a lost year outside of the building. As someone who's been in an NFL locker room, how do you tune that out and rally this week when you still got 14 games to play here? Well, I mean, one, it's your job. Um, Two, a lot of people are hurt um, all over the league. Nobody feels sorry for you. It's not like the Buccaneers this week are going to take a couple plays off because they feel sorry for you and your injuries. It, nobody cares. And so you can't use it as an excuse. You know, most every guy in the NFL got his opportunity to play because somebody else got hurt. Um, that's the majority of guys. Not everybody's a first-round draft choice that automatically gets, you know, to usurp the process and to start playing. So – this is a great opportunity. It just depends on your mindset and how you look at things. This is a great opportunity to do something special, to be that guy that rises up, whether it's Deshaun Hamilton or whether it's uh, K.J. Hamler or whether it's Jerry Judy, you know. It's your opportunity to, to rise. It's your opportunity as a tight end to make a difference, to, to be that second tight end uh, opposite Noah fan that does something special. Like, there are plenty of opportunities here and excuses. Um, you know, excuses just don't work in this business because, like I said, nobody feels sorry for you. Nobody's taking a playoff. Um, you got to go out and play with what you got. We'll get to uh, week three here in just a second, but I want to ask you about the offensive line last week. Seven sacks, 19 quarterback hits. I know that's got to pain you to see as a former offensive lineman. How problematic is that group right now? What do you see from them? 
Well, you know, obviously that was that was one of those situations where it's tough. And, you know, you see a lot of different things. You see physically guys getting worn out. And we saw that with the right tackle and Elijah Wilkinson. We saw that with the rookie center and, and uh, Cushenberry. I mean, it was – they got worn out. And the Steelers did a great job of two things. One, finding individual matchups, getting guys one-on-one um, within their scheme, saying, hey, we like this matchup. We like T.J. Watt against Elijah Wilkinson. So we're going to walk up a backer and make them go man on this and make him block one-on-one. We're going to get in a jam front and make your center um, block a Lulu one-on-one. And they did that on several different occasions, and they won. Um, they also did a great job with their blitz packages, especially their their uh, slot corner blitzes. And the Broncos didn't adjust very well and didn't pick that stuff up. Um, unfortunately, it happens. You know, when you look at protection breakdowns, there are three things I really look at is physical breakdowns with your offensive line. Um, mental breakdowns and lack of communication between tight ends, running backs, and your offensive line. Um, quarterbacks and their lack of awareness, um, uh, that's, that's also an issue. And so all three of those things happen. So it's easy. I, I'll, I'll throw a fork in there. Coaching. Like coaching is a big part of protection. And if you're just going to line up in three wide sets like trips or speed trips or you're going to line up in uh, – and doubles, and, and if that's what you're going to line up and do, um, then you damn well better be able to protect those things. And if you can't do those things, if you can't line up in those formations, you can't line up and spread stuff, then you as a coach need to adjust. So I would say all four of those cardinal rules right there uh, were broken in that game. They didn't physically hold up. Mentally, they made mistakes. Their quarterback didn't didn't get rid of the ball and held on to it occasionally and your coach really didn't change things so um that said that's four things that you can work on this week because they have to change if they don't change um you're going to lose you know you're going to lose more players and you're going to lose more games yeah Vic Fangio said Jeff Driscoll was at fault on some of those plays and he improved a little bit in the second half there when he got more comfortable Obviously, he's not Tom Brady, but what are reasonable expectations for him this weekend, do you think? Well, I thought, you know, I thought Jeff Driscoll threw the ball well. Um, you know, he, he was going to the right places. There was some lack of anticipation on routes, and he missed some wide-open throws. He missed a touchdown to K.J. Hamler that uh, a veteran quarterback has to make that 100% of the time. Um, he missed a corner route, Cortland Sutton, on a second down and 20 something that would have been a first down. Um, And part of that is because there was such a lack of protection that your body clock speeds up the time that you, you know, you, you start, instead of attacking, um, instead of attacking the weakness of a coverage or instead of attacking a certain coverage guy, you start attacking the clock. You start saying, I got to get rid of this ball. And so instead of letting something develop, the clock in your head says, I got to get rid of this. So the issue becomes, I'm not attacking coverage or I'm not attacking a weakness. I'm playing against the clock. And that's a recipe for disaster, obviously. So that's something they're going to have to shore up the protection so that he can go through his progressions and hit those plays and not feel like I got to get rid of this ball right now. I got to throw it to the first guy who's not open as opposed to letting the second guy in my progression come open. And I saw that on multiple occasions 
on Sunday, and that just needs to be fixed. Not everything was uh, bad on Sunday. Jerry Judy had another impressive game. Noah Fant looked good there in the second half, and K.J. Hamler, I thought, for his first NFL action was pretty impressive. What stands out to you about those guys, and do you see maybe a bright future for this offense once this young team starts to mature? Well, I don't see a bright future unless you fix what ails you, and that's blocking people. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how talented you are. If you can't block people in this league, you're going to lose. So that's number one that needs to be addressed and fixed. And right now you don't have the personnel to do that on this particular team. So you're going to have to do it through scheme. Uh, That's just, that's the brutal truth, the brutal, honest truth. And, you know, sometimes I'm public enemy number one around uh, these parts. But uh, one thing I will tell you is uh, 100% the truth. Um, Two, Jerry Judy is an exceptional talent. And I saw a maturation through that, through that game. I saw him drop a couple of balls, miss a couple of blocks, where as I was breaking down that film in the first half, I was kind of dog cussing the kid, like pick it up. And then I saw him get hit going over the middle on a slant drag combination where he got plastered. Um, and then I saw him throw a couple of chip blocks and do some things that I was like, good for you. That's the way you respond when – things aren't going your way because he had a couple of drops in the first game as well. So I was happy to see that response. I thought KJ Hamler was um, with what he was asked to do was exceptional. Um, and I'm really excited about watching him continue. One, you know, we talk about the speed and the speed is great. Um, I always say this, if you run a really fast forward 40, it makes you fast. It doesn't make you a great football player. Um, but what I saw in him is attack coverage get on the toes. So he closes the cushion. He threatens people vertically. He makes them open up. And then that dude can cut on a freaking blade of grass. I mean, he is just boom out of it. And he made a, a long out route about a, probably about a 17, 18 yard out where he climbed up on that DB. He got on his toes and that DB flew his hips open and bam out to the corner for about an 18 yard completion that was, in my mind, a thing of – it's just a thing of beauty. So I was impressed with him on a couple of routes that he ran. Um, really impressed with him. Uh, Noah Fant, same thing. I mean, Noah Fant is, you know, is continuing to progress. One of the things I really liked is they had a, a fairly long completion. I forget who it was to. Um, where Noah Fant was asked to block one-on-one. He blocked uh, – I think it was Bud Dupree, uh, one-on-one in a pass pro where he didn't go out. And, like, that to me is one of those things that you're going to be asked to do occasionally as a tight end. And I hear people say all the time, quit asking tight ends to block premier pass rushers. And, and my response to that is quit asking tight ends not to play football. That's part of playing football. And, you know, with the catches, the touchdown catch, the two-point conversion, the touchdown catch, a lot of people would put that, you know, him on Bush and said, well, we got the better end of that deal. That was a bust by the safety the safety busted that coverage. They were really in a bracket coverage. Bush had inside leverage, and the safety jumped down on the flat route, and um, there was nobody over the top. That was not Bush's man-to-man coverage, but Bush did get burnt in that two-point conversion. Um, he, there was no way he was keeping up, and Bush can flat run, but there was no way he was keeping up with Noah Fant. So those are a couple of good things, promising young players. But again, if you can't fix – you know, if you can't fix your inability to protect um, and you can't do it through coaching and play calling and schematics, then um, then it's going to be a long season.
on the uh, other side of the ball, what have you seen from Tom Brady? How close does he look to kind of the Tom Brady that we're used to in his prime? And how important is it for the Broncos to be able to get pressure on him this weekend? Because we're used to seeing Vaughn Miller getting after him, DeMarcus Ware. Right. If, if Bradley Chubb isn't effective, or, or, or maybe what can the Broncos do to get some pressure on him to uh, make him uncomfortable? Well, I think, I think one, you don't – right now, without, without Vaughn Miller, you don't have the one-on-one matchups that are desirable. Um, and so then it comes down to, again, on Big Fangio's part, scheming. Like, Big Fangio would much rather scheme a one-on-one matchup than he would a blitz pressure or a dog pressure. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so he'd like to walk up a linebacker or blitz, you know, or dog one linebacker and still play coverage behind it and get five one-on-ones and see if you can win a one-on-one. If your guys aren't winning one-on-ones, then you have to bring blitz pressure. And that exposes you on the back end to young cornerbacks and to, you know, a secondary and linebackers that, um, that you know, are still figuring it out. So those are the kind of chess match in the games that you have to play. Um, and, and, you know, you have to think about that stuff. How are we going to get pressure on Tom Brady? You speak of Tom Brady – and this makes me think back to 2012 when Peyton Manning came here. You know, in 2012, when Peyton Manning came to be a part of the Broncos, there were huge expectations. If you remember how that season started, the Broncos started off two and three, and they were down 24 nothing in game six against the Chargers here at home at halftime. And they stormed back in that game, and they won that game to go three and three and they ended up sweeping the rest of the season. And they had preseason. They had OTAs. They had all those things. You watch Tom Brady, and it's so funny because everybody's ready to write the obit, right? He's 43 years old. We cannot wait to write the obit on Tom Brady. Tom Brady's physical skills have not diminished. He throws the ball as well as he did now at 43 when I go back to 33 or or 28 or whatever. I mean, there's, there's no real discernible difference. Um, he has been off timing-wise with his receivers. There is that nonverbal communication that they have not established yet. And that's been the – that, to me, has been the biggest issue. I've seen plenty of throws where, you know, you're running something as simple as a spot route to your tight end, so he's just curling up at about six yards. And I've seen this happen twice where Tom Brady throws it two yards to his – to the tight end's left side. So tight end turns around, he's ready for the ball. Well, he's got inside coverage from an inside linebacker. So Tom Brady throws away from the inside coverage, expecting his tight end to feel that and move before he even throws it. So he throws it, expecting the tight end to move. And the tight end is just sitting there in a spot route. And the ball hits the ground. And I hear people say, well, it's completely an inaccurate throw. And I'm like, no, that's a miscommunication. Like, you're expecting something from your receiver, and your receiver doesn't do it. And as Tom Brady told me last week, um, you know, I was on a, a, a conference call with Tom Brady, a Zoom call with Tom Brady, and he said, hey, listen, man, you know, when I was in New England, I threw 10,000 balls to my receivers. And he goes, I got 200 balls there right now. Like, we haven't, we haven't developed that since. And it's going to take some time. Remember last week, he had five, I believe, drops. Two of them were touchdown throws of both about 30 yards, 35 yards, something of that nature, one to Shady McCoy and one to Scotty Miller. Um, he probably would have had over 400 yards uh, ta- 400 yards passing 
and he would have had three touchdowns. And he had one errant throw to Gronk that got picked off. So, you know, I know that everybody's ready to write his obit, but I'm ready to watch him, like, really start to explode um, in the next few weeks as they continue to find their timing and their rhythm as an offense. Mark, uh, you'll be in the booth this weekend for Fox. You've played in front of this crowd when it's at its 76,000 capacity. What do you think it's going to be like for you to be there and have it be 5,700 people and uh, not be the mile high that you're used to? It doesn't affect me one bit. Um, I've been so impressed so far this season with the way the NFL has handled this pandemic, um, with the way the teams have handled this pandemic. And they've all told me how weird it is. They've all told me, but here's what you have to understand. This whole offseason has been completely out of the norm, obviously. You know, we've seen that, right? And the only normal thing, really, for these players is Sunday. They get to go strap it on against somebody else and try to beat the snot out of them, right? And it was like their first day back at school, week one, to be in a familiar setting where they're just playing because they love the game. Jamal Adams told me, he goes, we're going to find out who really loves football. And I put the headsets on, and I'm watching the game, and I kid you not, there have been several television breaks where I looked around the stands and go, man, I forgot that there was nobody here. It hasn't, it just ha it hasn't felt any different because the intensity of the players, and I praise the players because they love football. And they understand, as we say all the time, the eye in the sky don't lie. And if you're soft-shoeing it out there, guess what? You'll get exposed. And nobody wants that. So I've been really impressed with the players. I, I will say this about the Mile High City, man. We're the one place in all America that still actually has a home field advantage because of the altitude. Everybody else's home field advantage is gone. There's no crowd noise. There's not, you know, there's no that incomplete. There's no none of that stuff going on. But we are the one place that has an advantage because of the altitude. We're the only place in America that has an advantage because of the altitude. And hopefully, um, you know, hopefully that works out for, for the Broncos. The uh, Broncos don't play on Fox a lot, but people in Denver are used to listening to you on the fan every morning. For somebody who listens to you, tunes in every morning, and then tunes in Sunday to listen to you, what's kind of the difference in terms of how you approach the game, how you talk about the team, or is there any? Uh, no, I, you know what? I think whether you're coaching, any, any walk of life, whatever you're doing, I think the most important thing is to be authentic. And so, um, you know, I am authentic. I love football, man. I am so blessed. I am so every day I get in my car and I drive to work and I turn off my radio and I spend 11 minutes praying and just being thankful, intentional gratitude. Man, I get to talk on the radio. I get to talk about the sport I love. I get to work for Fox and talk about the sport I love. The only thing I ever wanted to do was be involved in the NFL. I wanted to be a player from the time I was 12. And so, you know, my dad told me when I was a little boy, he goes, find something you love to do and you'll never have to go to work. I am 54 years old. I don't feel like I've worked a day in my life. I get to talk about something that I absolutely am passionate about and absolutely love. And so, um, honestly, there's not a whole lot of difference of me on the radio and me in the booth. I mean, I am just talking football and, and I'll get excited about it. And some people get mad because, you know, if Tampa Bay makes some great plays and they have a great defense, man, I'm going to be fired up about it because I love great football. 
And that happened to me last week. I got so many people that uh, in Carolina that were angry with me in the first half because it was a 21 nothing route in the first half. And they're like, you hate the Panthers. No, I don't. I just love greatness. I love great football, man. And, and Tampa with time was playing. Last one for you, Mark. What do the Broncos have to do this weekend? If there's one thing you can point to, to be able to play great football and make this a competitive game against what looks to be one of the better teams in the NFC. I think they're going to have to change their mindset and their personnel groupings. So I just don't think you can, you can effectively be a spread football team, especially against this defense. Um, I think if you go out and think you're going to play, your base formation is going to be 11 personnel and spread people out, three wide receivers, one tight end, one back, and spread people out. Um, I think you'll lose by double digits. I think you'll get, I think your quarterback will get hit. I think you'll be turnovers. Tampa Bay has all pro players at all three levels of their defense. Their defensive line was Shaq Barrett, JPP, Vita Vea, and Dominican Sue. Their two inside linebackers, I'll put them against any two inside linebackers in football, Levante David and Devin White. And their secondary is legit. They're young, they fly around, they hit people. And Carlton Davis is fastly becoming one of the best cover corners in football. Uh, he's a top five cover corner right now in the league, and nobody's ever heard his name. And so I'm just telling you, if you think you're going to spread them out and you're going to throw it to victory, I'm saying you're going to get throttled. So look for two and three tight end formations. Look for them to condense. Um, look for them to try to control the tempo of the game through ball possession, uh, play action, run the football, and um, – and slow this, like slow this game down to a snail's pace, because that's really, in my mind, what they need to do. If they think they're going to get in a shootout with Tampa, um, I think they're going to be at the wrong end of that score. Well, Mark, we appreciate your time, and we look forward to hearing you call the game this weekend on Fox. I appreciate it. Be well. Phil, that was my conversation with Mark Schlereth. He, uh, he always tells it like it is. Yeah, Stink doesn't hold anything back, and that's why in the media we love talking to him, just because you get an honest opinion. And, Eric, we know that he's a big fan of uh, a certain coffee brand that uh, we're also fans of. Westrock? Yeah, that's the one with the uh, gold elephant on front. Uh, gold package. Gold packaging with the elephant on front. Yeah, how could you forget that? Yeah. And uh, – while you were uh, talking to Mark, uh, we looked up uh, the touchdown numbers here. Oh, yeah? Uh, Adrian Peterson. Can't Thanks. believe we forgot about him. That's uh, our apologies. Uh, Frank Gore, LaShawn McCoy, Mark Ingram, and Todd Gurley. Mm, all good players. That's a, uh, be a nice, nice group for Melvin Gordon to potentially join here. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if he does it, Phil. He's looked, he's looked good in the first couple of weeks, and he's had to without Philip Lindsay available for really the, what, three of the first four halves of uh, play. Yeah, and other than that fumble in that first game, I think that he's been as advertised. He had had some fumble issues in his career, so I guess he has been as advertised. That's um, true. But, yeah, just a physical running back. He can pound the rock. He can carry the workload. And, uh, obviously, the catch he made against the Steelers. There's maybe five running backs, in my opinion, in the NFL that can make that catch. So, 
Yeah, I think you just Frank Gore. <laughs> yeah, Peterson. just named him. I just named him. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Eric, uh, let's move to the other side of the ball and talk about uh, how this Broncos defense can defend against Tom Brady. Uh, Tom uh, hasn't looked quite as sharp as we've seen uh, from his time back in New England, but he's still Tom Brady. His wide receivers dropped a couple of uh, easy touchdown catches last week, so maybe his numbers aren't really reflective of how uh, well he was playing. But uh, at least that week one game against the Saints, he threw a couple of interceptions in that game. I think that he would have liked that back. Um, You know, what do you think about him uh, transitioning from – all those years spent with Bill Belichick in New England now, uh, of course, moving down to Tampa Bay and Bruce with Bruce Arians there. Yeah, a few things here, Phil, that I focus on. One, I think he's still learning this system, and that's clear. You know, he, he seems comfortable, but I think there's still room to grow. And so I do think the Broncos' chances of being able to steal a win here are better than they would be in week 14 or something like that when they're really rolling. Um Bruce Arian's system is designed to take shots down the field. It's designed to take chances uh, for big plays. And so because of that, I think the Broncos are going to have a chance here to intercept a pass or two from Tom Brady. He's thrown at least one pick here in his uh, first two games. He's only completing about 64% of his passes. So it's not like, it's not like those new England days at times where it feels like he's completing everything on the field. Um, he's taken a few sacks. So I think there's a chance here that based on Brady's play, which seems to be a little inconsistent, that you can hang around. Now the weapons, Phil, are, are dangerous and probably better than the ones he's had in New England the last couple of years with O.J. Howard, with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Uh, I mean, those are good players, and that's not even mentioning Gronk, who hasn't really been a factor yet, but we know how good he is. Leonard Fournette, who ran for 225 yards on the Broncos last year when he was with the Jaguars. And then, Phil, to me, the biggest concern, it's not even the cornerbacks because I know you might think or someone might think, hey, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, we've got to worry about Michael Ojemudia and Isang Bassey and, and Bryce Callahan and how they handle those guys. I'm more concerned with the lack of a pass rush because what flusters Brady, and we've seen it a lot here, Phil, what, what flusters him is when he's getting hit. And the Broncos didn't pressure Big Ben hardly at all. I mean, they had one sack that was really a busted screenplay. So if they can't hit Brady and he can just sit there, then he will pick you apart. Yeah, exactly. He he obviously can use his mind to find a wide open wide receiver. And when he has time to do that, it's just too easy. But Erica, you know, like here in Denver, we've obviously experienced what it's like when one of the greats of all time at the quarterback position changes teams. We saw with Peyton Manning here, the, that Broncos team in 2012 lost three of its first five games. So it takes a little bit of time, but then once it clicked, the Broncos rattled off 11 consecutive wins. So, and we don't talk about what happened after that. No, that's, that's the end of that story. We're done. Yeah, exactly. They canceled uh, the postseason. Yes. That was strange why they did that that year. But Yeah, it didn't make sense. But anyway, they did it. Uh, so I think that, you know, catching Tom Brady in, in week three here is a is an ideal situation. Obviously, he's got the rapport with Gronk, and that's going to be a matchup to watch as Gronk continues to work his way back. But, uh, 
yeah, they got two Pro Bowl wide receivers. If you give Brady too much time, he's going to be able to uh, slice and dice. And much like Big Ben, Tom Brady knows when there's a rookie on the field. He, he, he's got this sense, like the hairs on the back of his neck, you know, go up. He knows, okay, attack this guy. So, you know, that's one thing that we've talked about a little bit, Eric, is that other teams seem to do a great job of recognizing a mismatch, recognizing an advantage, and then just hammering it. The Broncos on offense haven't shown that much where they just hammer the same same advantage over and over and over. Trust me, Tom Brady, if he recognizes that like Ojemudia is having a tough time against Godwin or whoever he's going up against, he's going to attack that until the Broncos adjust. So maybe the adjustment is to dial up blitzes and, and have guys from all kinds of different areas disguised coming at, at Brady where he, he doesn't know where he's going to get hit from. But I agree. They're going to have to do something to make him feel uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, there's going to be 5,700 fans there, but he's used to an entire stadium of 70,000 plus booing him nonstop here at uh, Empower Field at Mile High. Yeah, the the travel part of it's not a problem for a guy like Brady. Um, Ojemudi will be interesting. I do think the Broncos figured something out maybe late in the game and uh, move Kareem Jackson over to help Ojemudia a little bit. It'll be interesting to see what they do this week because, Phil, you know as well as I do, if you move Kareem Jackson over to help Ojemudia, you're, le- you're leaving something else open. You know, maybe that means you can't double somebody else or it means you can't have help over the top. Um, but you're right, he's going to be tested again and he's going to continue to be tested as long as A.J. Boye is out. So I'll be interested to watch that matchup. Uh, Phil, I just, for whatever reason, this to me feels like a game that the Broncos, I'm not going to say they can, that they're going to win, you know, but this feels like a game. Why don't that they, you have a hot take or something here? Okay. Go um, out on a limb. Okay. I think the Buccaneers are going to need a come from behind drive to end the game. And uh, I'm not. Don't say that. Don't say that. We don't want that to happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, I'm saying they're going to need a come from behind drive. Like they're going to, the Buccaneers will be trailing in the fourth quarter. Oh, and then uh, maybe like a penalty will happen. Maybe like a deep I'm shot not, that's like a miracle catch will happen. I'm and not going into what happens next. I'm just saying oh. the Buccaneers will be trailing this football game in the fourth quarter. Maybe uh, there'll be like a late hit on Bradley Chubb. Is that what you're thinking? Or... Uh. I hope not. It doesn't sound like it'd be fun to go through. No. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of uh, areas where the Broncos might have an advantage in this game. You know, I mentioned Rob Gronkowski earlier. He's only been targeted four times, Eric. No offense? Uh, no, that's Gronk. Oh, good. Yeah, you um, would think, though. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a chance that the Buccaneers can overlook this game just because you played a good Saints team, then you came home and you, you beat a Panthers team to get back on the right side, and you think we're going to play a team with a backup quarterback that doesn't have Von Miller, this is going to be easy. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know if Pittsburgh's not a great team or obviously they made a lot of mistakes. The Broncos had no business being in that game. 
on Sunday. And they were. And to me, the Steelers are a better team currently than the Buccaneers. And so that, you know, you add in being at home. And I think people that are saying this season is over or, um, you know, the, the Broncos are going to be Owen 15 and need to like lose the last game to get Trevor Lawrence. You're putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Like, let's see how things go here over the next couple of weeks before you decide that. And one thing that we saw last season, and it could have been for any number of reasons, but this Broncos team stayed motivated throughout the year. You know, it helps when you have a young quarterback, you know, rejoin the roster and it fires you up. But, but even before Drew Locke came in for those last five games, this team was still playing hard. Like they almost beat the, the Vikings in Minnesota last year. And that was a better Vikings team last year. So, you know, that this team has shown through the first two weeks to fight hard and there's no reason why that should change. So it's just two weeks into the season. There's been a lot of injury problems, but it's amazing how week to week in the NFL, if you get a win, your the whole vibe completely changes. And, you know, maybe that's this win, you know, maybe that's this week. So. Yeah. If, if I'm Vic Fangio, I'm standing in front of the team and I'm saying, if we get a win this week, we go to New York four days from now. And you know, what's today, Phil, as we're recording this Wednesday, you stand in front of the team and you say a week from now, a week and one day from now, we can be two and two and our season is entirely different. You know, exactly. focus, focus all of your attention, focus, uh, you know, all the motivation you have, everything you're feeling, whether it's disappointed or angry or annoyed at the way the first two games have gone, put all of that energy into beating the Buccaneers and following it up by beating the Jets. And the season becomes entirely different because then you get 10 days off before you have to go to New England. Maybe Drew is back by that point. I mean, they didn't put him on IR, and it sounds like that could be maybe a possibility. And regardless, if you get back to 2-2, two and two, you've got new life. Yeah, most definitely. Maybe he can uh... – show the team like some sharks attacking in the water videos, something like that. That's what Jack Del Rio used to do. Could be good. Yeah. He, he used to do that in Denver. He probably still does that to get, get the team fired up. But, yeah, there's a lot to still play for. It's, it's a long season. We know that. And, uh, you know, there's no reason why this Broncos team can – we saw them force a couple of turnovers last week against Pittsburgh. Maybe they do that. Maybe one – one gets returned for a touchdown or something, you know, they're going to need some sort of a big spark play that leads directly to points, whether it's from special teams or defense or something. Eventually that's going to have to happen for this team. Michael Ojemudia interception guaranteed. Ooh. Ooh. I don't want to, I don't know what you have planned in for, uh, for fill in the blank here, but do you think that Jerry Judy gets off the, the snide here? You think he gets his first, Touchdown. You're, you're down on Jerry Judy for a guy that has 120-something yards in his first two games as the number one option. Yeah, the number one option. Is yeah. he going to get the – is he so, going to get his touchdown? Is he going to get – Yeah, it? sure. I love it. Let's oh. give him a touchdown too. Ojemudia pick, Judy touchdown. You want anybody else to score? Let me – Melvin just, to get his – If you could just wait one second, I'm just going to write these down here. Judy touchdown. Okay, yeah. This is recorded. You know that, right? Yeah, but I don't want to have to come back and find it. 
And then what was it that you were saying? Uh, they're going to need a comeback drive there at the end. Okay. All right. Okay. Where's your, where's your bold predictions? No, that's why you're on the show. Got it. <laughs> Eric, do you, should we move on to fill in the blank here? Yeah. The first blank is where's your projections? <laughs> that's not a blank. No. Phil, let's, let's start by staying with the schedule because I know you love that. Um, the Broncos here, I believe we have five games left before the bye week. They currently sit at 0-2. Let's, let's just say for argument's sake that Drew Locke does not come back until after the bye, which would be a week nine game in Atlanta. How many games – or the Broncos must win blank games over the next five to remain relevant, to remain in the hunt when Drew Locke returns. You're talking about the playoff hunt? Yeah, just to be in a position where you come out of the bye week and you still feel like you're getting, you know, you're either in contention or you're a game out where the games still feel important. I think that if they, I think if they win two games, they'll still feel important. Ideally, three. Because we could just go through it here. They got, obviously, Tampa Bay this week. Then on a short week at the Jets. Okay, the Jets have had uh, some struggles here early on, but still, Sam Darnold, it's a short week. You're on the road. It's a tough situation because Sunday you play the Buccaneers. Then you essentially you just have Monday and Tuesday to get ready. And then you're traveling on Wednesday, and then, boom, you're playing a game. So – that should be a win for the Broncos, but that's a, a sort of a funny situation there. Then you're on the road at New England. We've seen how Cam Newton's been playing this year. Then you come back home for two games, Miami and Kansas City. So the optimist in me will say they get wins against the Jets and Miami. And if they can pull off a win somewhere else, maybe it's this week, maybe it's against the Patriots, if they can get three there, I think that they'll definitely still be in the hunt. If they can win two, the two games that I'll say that they should win, I don't even know if I should say that. That's kind of a bold statement anyway there too. But the two games that are the most winnable, let's say it that way, if they can win those ones, I think that they'll still feel relevant, especially as the schedule in the second half of the year gets a little bit easier. Yeah, it's not supposed to be easy to make the playoffs. And when you lose a game or two games, really, that you could win, you've got to make up for it somewhere else. And so I agree with you. A win over the Jets, a win over the Dolphins, that will be a, a tough game at Empower Field. But I think, you know, if you're going to be a playoff team, you need to be able to beat them and then steal one against the Buccaneers or the Patriots. And, you know, who knows if Drew Locke is back by that Kansas City game, maybe something happens where you can be competitive in that. But, um, I think it's a tough ask to be dependent on a win over the Chiefs, uh, especially with as beat up as you are. But, yeah, I mean, even if you go into the bye week at two and five, you come out against a Falcons team that uh, has looked questionable, a Raiders team that's looked good, but the Broncos have played tough in recent years, and a Chargers team that is either, you know, they're currently playing a rookie quarterback. And so you get to the place where, maybe you make a little surge there, get back to 500 or around 500 and, and see where things go. Uh, so 
I'll just say this. It's a little bit hard because, you know, like you say, like the Falcons are questionable, right? Like, but they were definitely in a position where they should have beat the Cowboys this last week. I was reading something in the, uh, this week and they're like, oh, uh, how does uh, the Buccaneers, how do they make sure that they don't overlook an 0-2 Broncos team? And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, you know, when you're in it and you're living it every day like we are, like uh, you know how close this team is to like winning some of these games. But to the rest of the league, they're the 0-2 Broncos that requires not being overlooked. You know, yeah, whereas for us, we're like, oh, that should be a tough game for a team like Tampa to go on the road and they're still figuring things out and they're coming to Denver and, you know, that's a really good defense there. Like, we think about all those things. But, like, for the rest of the league, they're like, that's the 0 oh, and 2 Broncos. So, for us to, like, sit here and be like, well, they should win this or they should win that. Well, the fact of the matter is that this team that we cover every day is 0 oh, and 2. Yeah, no, I agree with you. But enough NFL games are one-score games that you'd like to have some hope here that things can uh, can turn around. With that, let's get to the next fill in the blank, Phil. Uh, blank is your favorite memory of the Broncos against Tom Brady. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I would say the AFC Championship game in 2015, that 2015 season, that's got to be my favorite just because of how flustered he got by Tom Brady or by uh, Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware and Malik Jackson and really that whole defense. They were attacking him nonstop. And the fact that he was able to fight back and give the Patriots a chance to win that game at the end, thinking that they're about to, you know, pull off this comeback and then they took it away again. That's got to be a top memory. Obviously, 2013 is a top memory, winning that AFC Championship game. And then also the other playoff victory, uh, 2006, Champ Bailey's interception. All great memories for the Broncos uh, winning playoff games against Tom Brady. Yeah, that divisional game against Tom Brady, just to be different, I'll, I'll take that one. You know, when Peyton was here, and obviously the 15 AFC Championship it means a little more because you went on to win the Super Bowl and it's just part of that story chapter of the Broncos. But with Peyton, the Broncos were relevant for all four years that he was here. You know, like they were the best team in the NFL for a while, went to two Super Bowls. Uh, to me, when I think about those 2000s team, that win over the Patriots was the pinnacle of where they got to and, you know, brought them uh, national respect. I mean, obviously they were a good team and, and had that to some degree, but beating uh, the defending champs was a big moment. And so uh, to me, that stands out a little bit. One other reason, obviously it's uh, part of that 2015 story of going to uh, go on to win the Super Bowl, but in a larger, even larger than that, that was the final time that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady played each other. And, right. uh, you know, that is head to head. That might be the all time greatest career long battle of any two quarterbacks. You know, those two just always being there, knocking on the door to, to be a Super Bowl team, always fighting each other. 
always having it come down to those two. It's like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Those two just always there. Uh, that's the last time that they faced each other and Peyton came out uh, on top. Yeah, no. And a great game to go back and rewatch. Phil, your last fill in the blank. When you think back on Shaquille Barrett's career in Denver, you think blank. I, uh, I think about two different things. And this is only like from a very unique perspective here. It doesn't even have much to do with him on the football field, actually. One is I, uh, during an interview, one time he claimed that he put sugar on his spaghetti, <laughs> which in my opinion, I couldn't think of something more wrong than that. Like I know that like jarred, spaghetti sauce that you buy from the store has a lot of sugar in it to make it taste better. I don't eat that stuff. I make my own pasta sauce. Me and Vic, we kind of like do that together. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but he would actually take that sauce and then add more sugar to it. And I, I just remember hearing that and asking him much later. Like he, I think he said that in a scrum in the locker room. And I just, it bothered me so much that later on, when he was by himself, I just was like, don't, dude, don't, don't do that. Please stop doing that. Uh, so that's one, obviously such a nice guy, uh, Colorado state kid. I can get over that. I look past that, uh, being a CU grad myself, but just a really nice guy, really humble, looking for his opportunity to start in the NFL. Uh, really enjoyed getting to know him a little bit, but my second, this is definitely number two, if I'm allowed to tell this story. But um, that 2015 season, Evan Mathis was mic'd up. And he was sitting on the bench. And uh, uh, Shaq had a sack in the, in the game. And the, the uh, uh, MC in the building, like the, uh, the announcer, mm -hmm. he, uh, he like said, Shaq Borat. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was really funny. And so they were having a laugh on the sideline in this mic'd up. And then uh, Evan Mathis goes, nice sack. <laughs> so those, those are like two moments that just stick out of my head. That's, those are nice. Those are uh, less football related than I thought you'd go with, but nice stories. When, when I look back on his time here, Phil, and I was only here for, or I guess I was here for three years with Shaq. Uh, I kind of think to myself, what did I miss? Because in Denver, he was a solid role player. Um, four sacks was – I guess he had five and a half and 15. Four in 17 when he started nine games. And, you know, that's the kind of output maybe you expect from a guy like Jeremiah Atachu or Malik Reed today. Um, and so he goes to Tampa Bay and leads the NFL in sacks. And I think now – what did I not see about either his talent or what didn't click here? Uh, like you said, a, a great guy. But when Shaq left, I kind of thought to myself, like, oh, I'm going to miss having him around the locker room. He's a nice guy, but he's a guy that you can uh, replace pretty easily. And he obviously proved us wrong in that regard because he's been uh, really good in 2019, a pro bowler, of course, for the first time. And uh, not quite as successful so far this year. Uh, doesn't have a quarterback hit, doesn't have a sack. So still working into it a little bit. But 
uh, yeah, that's that's my memory. Is why did yeah. I see that? I mean, he he obviously wanted his opportunity to start in the NFL, and that just was never going to happen here in Denver. When they have Bond, and then they drafted Bradley Chubb. He just wasn't going to get that opportunity. So you understand him wanting to go elsewhere. Played on a one-year deal last year in Tampa and led the league in sacks. So a lot has to go right for you to do that. I don't think it's just based off of talent on its own. But I'll say football-wise, the plays that he made in that Cleveland game, speaking of that game, in overtime after after uh, Peyton Manning had an interception in that game, he had a sack or he had a tackle for a loss, and then he had a sack, and that pushed Cleveland out of field goal range. They had a punt, and then the Broncos went on to win that game. But that probably as a moment on the field for him, definitely a, a top moment there for him where he had two huge plays in overtime that uh, directly helped the Broncos uh, win that game. So, And Phil, that'll do it for this week's fill in the blank. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, I know you put a lot of time and effort into crafting those so that it's really provoking. And uh, you know, uh, I know that uh, the listeners really appreciate that. So, Eric, I think it's time to wrap this bad boy up. Any shout-outs? Well, shout-out to Ben Swanson and Emily Samanskis for taking time out of their busy schedules for joining us for this 100th episode. And shout-out to Neutral Zone Nation, Phil. We wouldn't be doing the podcast if people weren't listening. We maybe did the first few episodes if people weren't listening, but we haven't done recent episodes without people listening. And we always appreciate the voicemails and the tweets, the emails at neutral zone or excuse me, neutral zone show at gmail.com 707 neutral. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Did, were you surprised that uh, Emily and Ben came back for this 100th episode? You know, it's a big deal, Eric. I think back to when we first started the show, you know, uh, I don't know if you even remember, we used to call fans and give away prizes and we've come oh. a long way since then. You know, yeah, Phil, I don't know if I don't know if we've ever shared this on the neutral zone uh, airwaves, but one of my favorite, maybe my favorite memory of the neutral zone is when we did one of those games, we would you would tweet at people and you'd say, hey, give me a call uh, or what's your phone number? We'll call you. And for people that, you know, maybe don't have an office phone or you're not in the office right now, the way things work here at UCL training center is to dial out. You have to hit the number nine and then you type the uh, telephone number and for most numbers you have to hit one as the united states country code and as you were dialing one lucky fan phil uh, you dialed nine and then you dialed one and something turned off in your brain and you hit one again yeah and from the Bron- from the broncos phone you called 911 and <laughs> they said what's your emergency and your face you're like i've made a huge mistake and so you hang up very, you say, I'm sorry. You hang up very quickly. And Phil, I didn't know this, but apparently when 911 is called from this facility, a lot of different people get notified because you got all sorts of security people, uh, front desk people, the police station, I think, calling you back and saying, what the heck is going on here? Uh, it was pretty hard to maintain a straight face and continue to do the episode after that. But that was a, definitely a high point. Yeah, that is a good story. I hit 911. And then I was just going to type the phone number starting with the area code. 
But then when I looked at the piece of paper I was dialing, they had put one in their phone number to, in addition. Like normally uh-huh. when you tell someone your phone number, you just put 10, the 10 numbers. But they had also included the one and I had forgotten I had already hit one. And then I just typed out the number and of course, that's 911. Yeah. The front, uh, first of all, I had to explain uh, to the call center that I it was just a mistake, but yeah, you're right. So like the phone, thanks, three thanks for being on the neutral zone. <laughs> and then I secretly should have been like, Help me, I have to do this show with Eric Delala. That's true, that's true. <laughs> no, yeah. that is a good memory, Eric. That's a we used to record this thing in a conference room. That's true, and now we have fancy microphones and we are apart because of COVID, but we. We keep things going and our listeners from the very beginning, we appreciate, of course, there's Liz Manis. Shout out to her, her work in the community. Eric, that, uh, that is a good shout out. One of our faithful listeners, uh, Liz Manis, always listening here. Uh, shout out to the community. You know, I covered a community event yesterday in the field house. Players gathered and they uh, packed Ziploc baggies with uh, – dignity kits some essential toiletry items and uh, they were going to give those out to uh, homeless people but you know they didn't allow the fact that hey they're professional football players they have to uh you know they get tested every day they they tried their best to uh, distance themselves from uh everybody which makes doing community events very difficult but uh they're still uh, able to get together and try and make an impact so um Eric, but thinking back to uh, some favorite memories, uh, this year before the pandemic hit, we did uh, an episode of the show near a pool in Miami. That was a nice one. That was a nice one. Uh, we did the show from the Combine this year. Uh, just, uh, you know, we we find time to make this, uh, this a priority. And uh, every week we've been there. We did a... Uh podcast last year phil on an on the team plane on the way to uh oakland for the last time to give you guys a glimpse into what road trips like are with the broncos that was cool eric i enjoyed that yeah i would love to go on a road trip again yeah well yeah we'll take you behind the scenes here with the audio some audio storytelling so a lot of great moments let us know uh if you have a favorite moment, reach out to us. Uh, we told you a bunch of uh, ways to do it, but you could also hit us up directly at Eric Dalala with an A and at Phil Milani with a PH. So, Eric, anything else you want to say? Uh, I know that you're crying over there if you just want to collect your thoughts. If you had any. Yeah, Phil, I'm just excited for the uh, next 100. And you know, I hope you just get there before you retire because I know you're getting up there in age and. We only have so much time left together, so. Nothing will stop me, Eric. Nothing. I'll keep going until retirement won't stop me. Perfect. All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Mark Schlereth for coming on the show, our 100th show, so special guest there, uh, Mark Schlereth. Also, our thanks to Ben Swanson and Emily Samanskis making their returns. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, have everything wrapped up coming up next Monday following the uh, Broncos and Buccaneers. But until then, for Eric Dalala, I am Phil Milani, and you've been listening to The Neutral Zone.